Welcome back, Filter Not Included fans. This is Brock the Boss Earl alongside Big Poppy and Mr. Sean Robbins on this fine Sunday on the May long weekend coming to you Monday, your time. So hopefully you guys had a great weekend. Hopefully you two had a great weekend, but we got a lot of things to talk about today. We got some hockey talk, including our Oilers who are slumping at 2-0, and and we also got some other things going on as well. But before we get that, Brett rocking the Oilers hat. How does it make you feel? This is our YouTube debut for Filter Not Included. How does that make you feel? It, I'm super excited that we're able to get up onto uh, the visual platform. I put my Connor McDavid jersey up trying to, you know, bring up that good feng shui and karma for uh, the Oilers for the rest of this series. And I brought out my weekend vinyl and, you know, just bringing out all the stops. Maybe I'll I'll try and find a couple things, a couple more things to try and pin up there for our enjoyment. Unreal. And, that's great. And for the man himself, <laughs> who is the YouTube genius and is the creator and the entrepreneur of the YouTube channel, Mr. Sean Robbins, how's it make you feel? You're making your YouTube debut. How's it feel, my friend? Oh, it feels great. I'm excited to get big screen on YouTube. Hopefully we can get a good following here in the next, I'd say, 12 months. Hopefully we can rack up a few thousand followers and uh, see where we can take it. Awesome. Well, um, we got a lot to talk about today, so we're going to get right into it, but I'm going to toss it back to Mr. Sean Robbins, who has our first ever YouTube opening song. Hopefully it's a doozy. Right. Let's hear it. Well, to celebrate the long weekend, we're going to go with Weekend by Mac Miller. Enjoy. Ooh. I should have put my Mac Miller Circles album there. I'm not thinking, but next time, oh well. next time, yeah, next time, uh, next time, my song is going to be uh, one of his uh, NPR ones. But I have always said that this should be a music podcast, but we're not here for music. We are here for sports, and uh, one of the first things on uh, Edmonton sports fans' minds are what the hell is happening with the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, not a great start, especially on home ice for the Oilers. Uh, they lost two straight, only put one goal behind Connor Hellebuck. Uh, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl have both been left off the score sheet. But the plus side, if I may personally and ignorantly say so, the only power uh, playoff goal so far for the Oilers has been from Yesipoyarvi. But that's... That's my own personal lust and 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 love for the the good old Finnish man. I know whose jersey you're wearing tonight. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Got the pool party, hey? Exactly, and and you know what? That's kind of the the division or the drive that the Oilers need is that secondary scoring, but. You know, we just haven't got it. Uh, this is going to be our Ari Gold rant of the week. Brock, I know you've been uh, kind of jonesing about uh, this whole situation. Why don't you get us started here? Yeah, so for me, like I said last week on the podcast, uh, my biggest fear was Connor Hellebuck being probably the greatest goalie on planet Earth and Carey Price being second to none, and both are in our division. And unfortunately, that's come true, at least on the Winnipeg Jets side, as Connor Hellebuck has looked like Vesna Trophy winning Connor Hellebuck. Uh, he has played out of this world. He has, you know, with the help of the Jets defense, absolutely shutting down Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, watching Leon and McDavid try to get shots and just sticks are flying and tapping them. And every shot they try to make is deflected. Uh, I said last uh, Saturday on Saturday night, is that what it was? Saturday night when they played um, Friday night, sorry. On Friday night when they played, I said, I believe the Winnipeg Jets are going to break the record for most block shots, tip shots in a series, even if it goes to four or five games. It just seems like every shot the Oilers try to take, it's blocked, it's tipped, it's going out of play. It's crazy. I don't know how they're doing it, but they're doing exactly what they needed to to shut down our top two scorers. The lack of toughness, too, is tough for me to watch. I, I've been watching the Capitals and Bruins. Those are two very tough teams. There's a lot of hits. There's a lot of impactful hits, which is a big deal. Get knocking guys off the puck. 
And it's tough seeing the Oilers, you know, they're just going through the motions when they hit a guy, they just hit him because they don't, they're afraid that if they don't hit him, then they'll get critiqued and criticized. But when they hit a guy, there's no impact. There's no, they don't leave anything into that hit. Like the guys are skating away from that being like, Ooh, Yamamoto really hurt me on that one. Or Archibald really took a toll on that one. They've had, there's been a few big hits, um, but nothing that, you know, establishes toughness on this Oilers team, unfortunately. And like Brett alluded to, the lack of depth of scoring has kind of always been a concern for Oilers fans since, you know, for the most part, it seems like McDavid and Leon Dreisov scored 72% of her goals. Uh, so it's tough seeing the lack of scoring early, but it's also one of those that there hasn't been scoring at all. So let's hope that, you know, we get that depth scoring we need for games three and four. Let's hope a little bit more toughness. Let's hope that we can crack Hellebuck. But those are kind of my three biggest things with this series. And unfortunately, it's one of those. I didn't want to say I predicted it, but it was one of those I could see the inevitable before it happened. So he doesn't want to say I told you so, but he's basically saying I told you so. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> something, something I want to bring up with with your point on hits, and this was brought up to me by a friend of mine, but it's a good point. Is I feel like the Oilers are so over or heavily coached to be so positionally in place i guess and and so almost military-esque right so when they are going into checks it's just like you said to finish off a check and then get back into position you see quite often uh, a player like uh, zach cassian go into a hit and then he kind of stops and skates around and gets back into his position because if he would have thrown that hit then he would have been out of position but in game two, there were numerous chances that if one of the Oilers would have stepped up and took that player out of the play, that scoring chance would not have materialized and it's a turnover and the puck is out of your zone. But you have to stay in position. And like, that's just where, like, I mean, yes, there's pros and cons to going out of position to go after a play or uh, to play the check or whatever, but there's right place, right time, wrong place, wrong time. And sometimes you have to play those odds. You know, if you're going for a battle in the corner on a puck, you got to play those odds sometimes instead of just playing the slot, just covering the slot. You got to look like it's playoff hockey. We, we need, we need bodies flying around here. And uh, that's, that is not the case. It's like a regular watching a regular season hockey game right now. The energy, the pace of play, it's, it's poor right now. Totally. And you see series like you mentioned, Brock, the Boston Washington series, the, uh, the Florida the first couple games of the Florida Tampa Bay series were unreal. They were some, for some people, it was their first game watching uh, hockey and it was exciting. It was one of the best hockey. It was probably, it was definitely the best game of the season for sure. Yeah. Um, and one of the best in the last few years. And now you have to try and market the rest of the series. You know, you have Connor McDavid, who's not scoring in the first two games of a series. We are recording this before game three, which happens tonight. So uh, by the time you hear this, the Oilers may be down 3-0, play a game on Monday, and then have a tea time on Tuesday. So, you know, it's it's a weird kind of way the, the league has turned out. The fans may have a thing to do with that too. Every yes. team in the North or every team rather in the South in, uh, uh, in the States are playing in front of crowds yeah. here. At it's least some a- sort of capacity. Yep. Yeah, exa- yep. exactly. And here it's just, you know, maybe seven in Edmonton, at least there's like seven socially distant frontline workers who are sitting in section one one and like that's it is it like you an know, ex-athlete maybe. too it has to be equally confusing slash rattling hearing fake crowd noise yeah. hearing oh, yeah. let's go like all the chanting all this the cheering mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's it would just play mind games with you i know you'd get used to it near the end of the season but it's uh it's big difference it would almost feel like a lacrosse game just kind of getting all those weird filtered in sounds that's um, a good comparison another thing you mentioned brock was uh how players are just getting in front of pox whether that's deflecting pox whether that's uh there's rather that's the winnipeg jets who are deflecting pox blocking uh shots whatever that may be and uh one of those guys who did that quite effectively was dylan Demello. And who blocked that shot 
with his hands up like he was blocking a kick in football, <laughs> playing for the New York Jets, not the Winnipeg Jets. And uh, we all, I mean, he thought he broke his hand. And if that puck would have went in, evidently it might have been the winner if this game would have won, finished one nothing. Uh, yeah, and I, I remember that vividly now that you bring it up. That's just, that was one of those, you're like, that's playoff hockey. Put the body on the line. Doesn't matter what happens. We'll figure it out in the locker room after the game. But again, it just, it seems like the Winnipeg Jets are putting their bodies on the line. And I'm not saying the Oilers aren't blocking shots or trying to, but you can tell like Winnipeg Jets, like you talked about the positioning thing. Um, it's a great point because you can tell that if in a mind of a Ryan McLeod or a Yamamoto or some of these younger guys, or even just even some of the vets, you're like, if I'm, I'm afraid to take a body check here because my coach will get mad that I'm a couple steps out of position catching up to the rush. Um, it kind of reminds me of like playing a little NHL be a pro when you're playing with your be a pro guy and they got that blue arrow saying you got to get back you're out of position <laughs> the Oilers are thinking I don't want that blue arrow showing up because coach Dave's gonna read me out for taking a body check instead of staying with the puck so um talking about the fans too again I'm a cynic when it comes to spoilers sports uh you know when I see 2-0 I've seen the way they play I'm like well this is done I'm, I'm kind of that way I'm trying not to be so the way I'm going to not be like that is I'm going to say, I don't think home ice advantage has any impact whatsoever on the North division. So I am hoping that even though we're down 2-0, losing both games in Edmonton, which isn't really Edmonton because there's no fans. It's just blue banners up and down the seats with advertising. Hopefully they go to Winnipeg, you know, whether they steal one and it's three, one coming back to Edmonton, or maybe they tie it up. Hopefully uh, they make adjustments that they don't end up losing the next two games, but um I don't think the home ice advantage has any impact whatsoever. Everybody I've heard all around, they're like, well, we're going to Winnipeg. They lost two at home. This is tough. Well, what's Winnipeg without fans? Really? It's just a rink. So you might as well make it a neutral spot. The only difference is they can be home with their families, eat dinner at home and drive to the rink as opposed to staying in a hotel and busing there the night of. But I don't think there's any home ice advantage here. I hope, I sure hope that has, I mean, very little impact to do it, but um, that's kind of my way of not being a cynic and looking at this as a positive spin on the, the first two games being rough. The major thing or the thing that uh, people like to say about the playoffs is you're not in trouble until you lose on home ice. Well, the Oilers lost twice on home ice, but like you say, how much does that really matter? Uh, going into game three, the Oilers have a major shakeup in their lineup. Uh Cahoon, Neil, and Chason are all going to be out for game three. Uh, and they are going to load up the front first line with uh, Drysaddle, McDavid, and Pugliarvi. And the second line center, since you mentioned him, is going to be Ryan McLeod in between Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Zach Cassian. That will also mean that Kyler Yamamoto will be on the fourth line with Gaetan Haas and Tyler Ennis tonight. So major shakeups up front. Additionally, Darnell Nurse will be with uh, Ethan Bear to start off the game. Kulikov and Larson will stay uh, the same despite uh, the first or the only goal in game two being um, on them. Can't I mean, you're not going to break them up. They've been solid since they came together. But the major also uh, shakeup in the back end is going to be Slater Cuckoo and Tyson Berry as the third pairing there. Um, probably in damage control when Tyson Berry is out of positions when Slater Cuckoo, who's been our most solid defenseman, once again, as soon as he comes back, to save his ass. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, the few takeaways I take from that lineup change, I mean, first of all, Awesome. Dave Tippett, don't stick with the same lines. I'm glad he's making major changes. You know, there's probably a lot of Edmonton people out there thinking, oh my God, this is awful. Why is Yamamoto on the fourth line? Why is McLeod on the second line? He hasn't established himself yet. That This is the kind of stuff you have to do in the playoffs in order to not get swept in Winnipeg. These You have to make these changes. You have to make some sort of changes, try things out. Again, the Oilers have done it all year where they start with their starting lineups. And then, you know, by the end of the first period, new guys are playing with new guys. So whether these lineups stay throughout the whole game, or maybe it's just let's start it off. See, you know, maybe we get into the flow of things and then change things up in the second or third. Um, I love Yamamoto on the fourth line personally, because I think that he hasn't played Yamamoto like, like we've seen in his first few years in this league, uh, putting him on the fourth line is more of a message to him. Like, Hey, we need depth scoring. And I want you to captain that fourth line, maybe get a couple of goals, 
with uh, who was it? Gaetan Haas and who was the other one you said? And uh, Tyler Ennis making Tyler his Ennis, uh, playoff yeah. de- de- uh, debut. debut this season. Um, yeah, like you said, light a fire under Yamamoto's ass. You know, he's he's had there was heavy expectations from him from last season. I still think he played a great solid season, I guess more would be the appropriate word this season. Um, But again, he just hasn't got it going. I feel like last season after the Chicago series where he got into uh, some stupid penalty trouble, he might be a little hesitant to play himself here to cost because he might cost the team. Um, But when you meant, you mentioned Ryan McLeod, fans potentially not being a big fan Brian McLeod being on the second line realistically he's been the only other depth outside of the first uh, obvious McLeod or McDavid and, and Dreisaitl who has really bucked up and, and played his position played his style and I I have always said I love Ryan McLeod and until he gives me a reason not to I will always love Ryan McLeod and he can transport the puck through the neutral zone like almost nobody else on this team other than 97 and 29. Um, and he's smart. He's such a smart player. He's, again, like Cuckoo. He's always in position. He's going into those corners fighting for pucks. He's going to the front of the net trying to get the rebound. He's shooting for rebounds. And he's battling in his end, too. He's... He's just a terrific two-way player. And I said with uh, on my other podcast with the breakdown, we said that our X factor this playoff or this series against Winnipeg was going to be how McLeod, Cassian, and Neil play. McLeod and Cassian have now moved up to the second line with Nugent Hopkins, and Neil is a healthy scratch. So... They're they're obviously doing something that Dave Tippett likes. Yeah, and um, you know, like like I said earlier too, you know, like there's a lot of teams in this playoffs that have playoff experience, including the Oilers. I think every team in this playoffs, not just the North Division, have playoff experience. But for example, there are te- players that or teams that have players that don't have a lot of playoff experience. Ours is Ryan McLeod. You know, obviously his first year with the team, but. I, as most fans have said, they don't agree with it. I completely agree with having him in the second line because he looks out there. When you watch Ryan McLeod, you're like, he's invested. He looks like he wants to win. Putting him beside a guy like Cassian that can give give him some space, like you talked about, taking that puck through the neutral zone. I'm hoping Cassian increases his physical game more. I've Again, it could just be because it was boring hockey and there wasn't much to watch for, but I haven't really seen Cassian play like a Cassian. Um, And then giving him, you know, pairing him with a playmaker like Nugent Hopkins, who you know, again, hasn't nobody scored really in the series for the most part. So maybe that'll spark some, you know, get some shots on net through Cassian in front, play make with Nuge and, you know, maybe create some scoring on that second line. But I agree with the move. I like it having McLeod out there. He's just, he looks determined and dedicated and, you know, kind of shaking things up and setting Yamamoto yeah, to fourth line, give light that spark up. Um, but we just, we need to create that depth scoring and you know, having Nuge or sorry, having Dry Seidel, McDavid, and Puyarvi on the same line—that's nice, but that's more of a—that's like an all fires line. We need some more depth. Mm-hmm. That's a desperation line. Um, yeah. The final thing that I want to mention here for the Oilers going into Game Three, like I said, you guys will be listening to this post Game Three, but for the rest of the series, I really think this will be key. Um, you got to rattle Hellebuck, and if you're not going to rattle him by putting the puck past him, then you got to rattle him by being in his, in his face. You got to rattle him by being in his cage. You know, um, my hope for him, for Cassian being on the second line is that he will get more minutes and he will be in front of uh, Hallibuck and really, really force the issue in front of him tonight and, you know, get in his cage again. Um, I mentioned before, I think it was here uh, a couple weeks ago, where um, the way the Chicago Blackhawks really beat the Boston Bruins a couple years ago in the Stanley Cup final was when Jonathan Taves just poked and prodded at Zdeno Chara. No other team would do that. No one would poke the bear. No one would really get under the guy who was running that team's confidence in Zdeno Chara and really force him over the edge. They deteriorated under Char in that series. Now, I think the Oilers 
being down 2-0, potentially 3-0 if they lose on Sunday night, they have to get to Connor Hellebuck. That is the only way that they are going to put the puck past the net. If he's not worried about stopping the puck and he's worried about who, where the next, you know, bump or, or shove is going to come from, then you're, you're, you're in his head. hundred percent. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Like you, again, I'll keep reiterating and alluding to the series, like Capitals, Bruins, Lightning, Panthers, Hurricanes, Predators, uh, Leafs, Canadians, even like all these teams and all these series uh, every time there's a whistle blown, there's some sort of scrum or pushing and shoving. Mm-hmm. Oilers and Jets, mm-hmm. that's just Oilers and Jets just rarely do that. Like when they, mm-hmm. when the whistle blows and Hellebuck or Smith has a puck covered, it's kind of like peewee hockey where everybody just immediately starts skating to the bench because they know it's time to change lines. Like there's no, there's yeah. no pushing, there's no shoving, there's no a little poke here, a little poke there. Uh, another player, I think, I don't want to say X factor because that's that's a different type of tier that this guy's sure. in, but Jujar Kara. I think is one of those that he can do like what casting does and poke and prod. Obviously, yeah. For some reason, he was eyeing up Adam Lowry, and I don't. I just maybe it's because of the concussions he's had, but I don't think Juju remembers exactly what Lowry did to him when he was stumbling and bumbling on the ice after their fight. Um, so maybe he should be careful there a little bit uh, in past history. But that, that's what Juju needs to do. That's why he's on this team. Juju's not there to score goals. He's not there to you know pass the puck. You know he's kind of a penalty penalty kill guy get in front of the net, cause mm-hmm. some havoc, you know, maybe a little Sean Avery, like, you know, maybe not that intense, but that's kind of the, <laughs> the type of player we need now. And Jujar fits the bill where he's tough enough that other than the guy like a Lowry or that Stanley, who I think gets bigger every time he gets on the ice, uh, he can fight, <laughs> he can fight most of the guys on the jets because he's a tough guy. Um, Cassian can handle the big boys. Jujar is kind of the middleweight type guy, but that's what Jujar needs to do. He, he needs to figure out that that's his job is to get in front and, like you said, cause chaos for Hellebuck. Not sure where the next bump and stuff is coming from there. And uh, who is the only guy really providing energy up there? Mm, no one really, unfortunately. Um, yep. Let's. Oh, but the only guy who is really getting into those uh, scrums and starting those scrums has been Mike Smith. So. Mm, also, also it's nice to say? also it's nice to seeing the true regular season fans of the Oilers versus the they're in the playoffs. So I have to watch fans of yeah. people noticing Mike Smith handle the puck outside the crease and do the oh I don't like that. Why is he doing that? It's like well he's been doing it all year long. He's gonna keep doing it. So you love seeing. I've seen people react to yep. videos of him playing the puck, and it's classic regular season versus playoff fans, the diehards like us, where we know that's what Smith does. Now that they're in the playoffs, everybody throws their flags on the back window of their car, and they think they're Oilers fans for life but you know there's they're uh they're showers for sure well when uh, the thing about that is when you i don't want to extend this too much more because we have beaten this to a little bit but uh, i do want to say with that is if you have a guy who can play the puck like smith does i would take the risk anytime to get that reward especially when he's getting the puck up to the fastest player in the world in Connor mcdavid and he can do so much with it that uh, let's wrap up our Oilers talk there. Hopefully it'll just be the two games in Edmonton and we can put to rest the, the shit storm that has been Winnipeg and, and, and move on to whether that be Toronto or Montreal, which we will get to in the next segment. Off the tie-up, it is fair, but it came back to Yandel. One of the greatest to ever do it in the game of hockey, Mr. Doc Emmerich. The reason I put that as a transition noise for all of you people, hopefully you enjoy the little clip. We're going to have a couple of those when we go segment to segment, but I miss him. It's it's tough not hearing his voice come playoff time, and it's the first year hockey hasn't had him. Uh, he retired last season, and I just I missed him. I've watched some of these American games and on NBC, and you think, Doc Emmerich, where is he? So I thought we'd throw a little – a little tribute out there to him, but hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Now we're going to get into a little bit of the rough stuff in hockey, and we're going to talk a little Corey Perry, John Tavares, and a little Nazem Kadri, Justin Folk, but we're going to send it to Brett, and he's going to get us started on the Corey Perry, John Tavares. So, Brett, start us off. Yeah, I just want to start by saying I do not miss Doc Emmerich, but, hey, we are neither here. Woo! Okay, <laughs> you learn every, something new every day. 
Hot take alert. Hot take alert. No. Um, yeah, let's let's start with uh, the one that's been on everybody's minds, uh, that John Tavares, uh, Corey Perry kind of deal. I guess we should more focus on John Tavares because um, he did suffer a, a concussion and a knee injury after a pretty uh, unfortunate event with between himself and Corey Perry. Uh, if you have not seen it yet, uh, it was a tough hit from Ben Sherratt, hip to hip between uh, Perry or uh, Tavares and Sherratt, rather, knocked Tavares to the ground. And as uh, Corey Perry was trying to exit the Leaf zone, uh, Tavares unfortunately ended up hitting his face and his head on Corey Perry's knee, who was trying to get out of the way. And uh, down on the ice for for uh, upwards of 10 minutes, I believe it was. EMTs uh, came onto the ice, uh, stretched it off. He did throw the thumbs up. There were uh, – Corey Perry came up, gave him a tap. Sorry. You know, it was an un- unfortunate accident. Everything that was going on with uh, the game and, you know, it's high intensity. It's the Leafs and the Habs and, you know, you're – you're trying to go out there and play a uh, tough game and you're going out there. Like we said in the, the last, um, the last segment, how every series has been tough and physical and hard hitting. And you're just trying to keep up with that, you know, the, the, the forte, I guess you're trying to keep up with everything. And, and I don't want to say that it got away from them because it was an accident. It, Corey Perry couldn't have done anything. It wasn't offside. It wasn't a, a major hit. It was just he got hit. Corey Perry couldn't get out of the way. There was no possible way that he could have got out of the way. You know, it, it was an ugly hit, but the fallout afterwards is is really what has been the ugly side of it because, you know, you still had a 60 minute game that ended two one with an exciting shorthanded goal that won the lower seed, the game, but on the front pages of the Toronto sun and, and, and uh, newspapers in Montreal, all that was plastered around was the hit. And that's not what the game was about. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, it's an unfortunate uh, circumstance, you know, an injury like that, you know, I watched it live and just the way his body was, you know, you, you could tell he wasn't, he didn't know what day or time it was. And it's unfortunate because you never want to see that for anybody. Uh, again, it's the whole Corey Perry hit some people's first reactions were, was it intentional? Obviously not because if you watch the replay, there's again, there's no way he gets out of the way of that. And like Brett alluded to, like the fact that the newspapers just had, you know, probably John Tavares laying on the ice. And that was the headline of the story, not the fact that the Canadians stole game one, whether it was in Montreal or Toronto's newspaper, that's, it's unfortunate because like he said, that's not the game. That wasn't the game that it was a big factor in the game, but um, that's not what made the game. The game played itself out later on. It happened in the first period and they continued to play the game. And uh, you know, again, thoughts are with John Tavares and his recovery, but I mean, that's just his hit was not the most impactful part of that game. It was the game itself. And the scary part of it. And the thing that kept running through my mind was Perry and, and, and uh, Tavares are kind of similar in the fact that they are leaders of the game. They're leaders of men. They're leaders of, of every team that they've ever played on. They've always been, the guys that everybody looks up to on the team and looks up to in the league. And, you know, it's, it's odd that it's, it's those types, those two top tier special type of players that this sort of situation happens to. But the, the thing that I really had a a problem with, and I understand both sides of this, and I'm sure people are on both sides of this, I wasn't a fan of Felino fighting Glad Corey Perry. Yeah. Immediately after. I have that right here. Yeah. It's tough. It's not, I don't think that was really appropriate. Now, is it one of those, Brett, that you don't agree with the fight in general or the fact that the timing of the fight was immediately after he stretched off the ice? I'm just curious. Well, so it's a little bit of both. Um, my my first thought is, 
kind of like you mentioned, because I was flipping between numerous channels, uh, numerous games rather. So I was catching, I think the, I want to say it was the Tampa, Florida game um, first. And then I switched back and then I saw the whole thing. So obviously you're like, was it dirty? Then you go back and see that it was an obvious accident. Once you see that it's an accident and once you're playing and you know, and you know, you could tell just how, it really affected Toronto. You could see on the faces of Austin Matthews and you could see on Sheldon Keefe's face or O'Keefe or whatever the fuck you could see on his, their face that, you know, that it affected them. But I think immediately after that, you see your captain stretch it off the ice with a head injury. I don't think that, and it being an obvious accident, not a dirty play that you're you're not going for retribution that shouldn't be what you're looking at and i understand that there is the side of okay let's just close the book here i don't want anyone coming after you i don't want this game to get out of hand because an accident happened let's just close like i said put the bookmark this chapter and this is where it ends here but Again, you saw your, your your captain wheeled off because of a head injury, because of an accident, because of a high-intense hockey game. And, you know, Perry's obviously shaken up about it. Perry didn't want that to happen. Well, and I think the best example of that is honestly the, uh, the slow-motion pictures where they capture Corey's knee is almost in hyperextension from him trying to avoid his head. And had it had it been the opposite where there was clearly intent you would have seen the lunge out of Corey perry some sort of malicious intent which would have been very very evident it there would have been no question and so like i understand where felino's coming from here where he says like my cat our captain's laying on the ice i have to defend our team and he he literally stated just what you said i i wanted it to end there we can move on for the rest of the game i get it but this is such a tough line because like, uh, like there's been a lot of uh, a lot of like public public voicing, like a, a lot of people have voiced their opinion publicly in regards to this hit and more or not more importantly, but more so the uh, the fight afterwards. And a lot of people don't agree with it because he willingly imposed to put his fist through your face, mm-hmm. obviously to protect his team, but it was an accident. He didn't mean to put his knee through his head. So I, I get it. I, I'd appreciate having a guy like that on my team, but maybe that's the time where you like you go back with your team instead of going and putting your fist through his face. Well, maybe, you know, like that was a pretty, that was a pretty hard thing to watch. It's like when um, I'm not going to switch lanes here, but it's like watching a guy get hit in the face with a fastball. Same kind of thing. It's let's go be with sure. my team right now. I want to be with my group of guys mm-hmm. and let's rally back together. I think that would have been a more, I don't want to say appropriate, but maybe a more logical response. Hey guys, let's group together. We need to be together right now. Uh, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there. Um, the fact that the fight happened after everybody, you know, everybody around hockey knew it was an accident. There was no intent The fight. The fact that the fight still happened was a little odd to me, but um, again, at the whole, my biggest thing that I was c- confused about was when uh, Nick Foligno said, that's our captain there. You know, Austin Matthews, after they won game two, he said, that's our captain out there. We were playing for him. So I, I don't want to be that guy, but is there, is there a part yeah. of them that thinks if a fourth line guy gets that hit, that there just wouldn't be a fight. There wouldn't be all this talk about it. Again, obviously if an injury like that happens, you're going to talk about it. The fact that it was John Tavares, captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs, does that have anything to do with the, well, it's our captain out there. So I got to fight you. If it was a fourth liner. Are we thinking the same thing? Are we thinking the same approach? Again, I don't want to think that way, but when I heard the post game comments and it's just the whole, it's the what if game, it's the, what if it was, you can't liner. help but think you're right. Is it one of those that nobody would fight Corey Perry? They'd be like, ah, you know what? You, you hit our guy right in the head on our fourth line. That's tough. You know, Hey, we're, we're glad you apologize. But the fact that it's John Tavares is the captain. He's obviously a superstar on that team and in the league. Is it one of those that it's just, that's, that's a stature and that's why you had to fight him. Well, I, I think it's the same deal where I don't think the fight should have happened in the first place. So I think if you're even thinking that the fight's going to happen, why are you fight? Like, 
we all felt the guilty thing of why are we watching you guys fight right now? Why are we watching this? We just felt all of our energy be imposed by this tough feeling of watching somebody that so many people look up to and John Tavares uh, go down with such a, a difficult injury. And now you, you want us to kind of go, Oh yeah, punch him in the face. You know, I, I don't like, it has to circle back to why the fuck are we even throwing fucking punches in the first place? And again, the other part too, that I don't think a lot of people have considered or they have and just haven't put as much thought into it. But uh, the fact that Corey Perry was still on the ice after the hit, like as a coach, do you not think, well, let's get the guy who just delivered a massive blow to their team off the ice for a couple shifts. Um, you know, Boost Boudreau came on, he was on uh, one of the TV shows, Tim and friends, and he was on there and they asked him that question. Uh, would, as a coach, would you have put Corey Perry on the ice? He said, absolutely not. He said, I would keep him on the ice for a few shifts. Hopefully things calm down a little bit more. Uh, he said that fight may happen later down the game, but um, I would not have mm-hmm. immediately kept him on the ice that shift. So that was something that stuck with me because I'm thinking that's a good point. Like the guy who's probably the biggest criminal in the acts of all the Toronto Maple Leafs, you keep him on the ice and vulnerable like that. You know, maybe that fight doesn't happen. Maybe the game gets rougher because the fact that fight doesn't happen, we will never know. But uh, the fact that he was kept on the ice by an interim head coach and Dominique Ducharme, I mean, that's, that says a lot. I mean, whether that was Perry's choice too, he might be like, no, I'm sitting out here and I'm going to deal with it. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I don't know that, but that was interesting just to think that angle and, you know, when Bruce Boudreau brought that up. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I That was something that ran through my mind too. And it was whether, I, I feel like with Ducharme, like you said, he's, he's just, he's, I think he's still the interim guy right now. And, you know, just throw out the same guys because I think, what you would want to do in that situation after you were caught up in that type of, um, I guess I, I don't want to say situation again, because I sound like I'm repeating myself, but when you're in that type of situation, and like I said, I, you just kind of want to move on. And the only way you can really do that is if you drop the puck and you just start playing hockey. And I feel like that's kind of the thought process behind Ducharme, just throwing him back out there is I feel like if you aren't, if you're keeping him on the bench and sitting there and and kind of dwell, not dwelling because that's kind of a negative connotation, but kind of sitting there stewing about what just happened even longer than throwing himself back out there and, and playing hockey and getting him his legs back underneath him, then I feel like that was appropriate. Again, you shouldn't have fought. It shouldn't have been the thing that came through your head. So, like, I, yeah, I, I don't think I, – I agree with the, the idea that, oh, if, if you have him out there, then something's probably going to happen right away. But I think you got to get your legs back under you under, after a, a sad, tough situation like that. Yeah, th- those are those are all great points. So with that being said, let's transition to the actual hit that we know laid an impact both on the ice and off in terms of suspension worthy in Nazem Kadri's hit on Justin Falk. Uh, Brett or Sean, I don't know if either one of you want to take the lead on this, but uh, one of those hits that you know it wasn't an accident, you know Kadri. That there's no what if game because it was the guy delivering the hit that we all suspect he would eventually lay in the playoffs nonetheless as a repeat offender in the playoffs. So he was he was handed out his eight game suspension by the NHL player safety. And it's one of those that it wasn't a big shock in the eyes of many people. They were talking, you know, you heard anything from kick him out for the rest of the playoffs to three to five games, all that stuff. Um, I wanted to get your guys thoughts on what you thought of the suspension length what you thought of the hit and maybe um, what this has to do. Maybe does this change at all? And the fact that the Avalanche are up three, nothing on the blues and that's, this might be a rough game for repeat offender. Uh, a lot of the things that have been said or that can be said, have been said. And uh, this has been the issue with Nazem Kadri and the, the, I mean, the connotation, I guess, around Nazem Kadri has been that, it's just a matter of time before it's it's uh, he makes a stupid decision like that and him coming across and catching Justin Falk right on the chin in one of the more ugly hits that we've seen this season um, 
it was just a wait and see type thing. And now we've seen it. He gets his eight games, which I think for the hit and for some of the things that you've allowed is pretty tough considering Tom Wilson could have provided brain damage to uh, Artemi Panarin this season. And you just let him off with a, a crisp high five and a smack on the butt. Um, and then you let him get off the next game by saying that, Oh yeah, he's, he's hurt in the first intermission. He's, he's, he can't come back. You know, it's a little backwards. I feel like that's, uh, it's it's all it was gonna happen. It was eventually gonna happen. And it since it's eight games and Colorado's a good team, he's gonna be back by the next series anyways. Um, he gets to take this series off, enjoy, and uh get ready for a very tough Vegas Golden Knights team. Yeah, so that's that's the big one here. And for all of you fans out there that are not quite sure, the sentence was handed down. Prior to game three, the Avalanche ended up winning game three. So they are currently up three, nothing on the St. Louis blues who played tomorrow night uh, game four, whether it's a sweep or not. Um, you know, that's one game right there. Uh, if the Avalanche do end up winning in, in four, uh, then they go play a Colorado or a Vegas golden Knights team that could go to seven games and Kadri's out all seven of those games. So when I saw eight numbers, I started doing the uh, suspension math and kind of, you know, <laughs> obviously once that they won tonight and, are likely going to win tomorrow. That's a pretty lopsided series we've seen so far. It's uh, it's curious thinking, like, they must have thought this out where they're likely thinking Avalanche and Golden Knights are going to seven games and they want to make sure Kadri isn't a part of any of them. So I uh, I couldn't agree with the suspension more. I think an entire series is fair, especially when it comes down to a team like the Golden Knights who are, you know, the Stanley Cup contenders in my eyes and in the eyes of many. So to have a guy like that miss all seven games in a series that might need him and might be a an X factor in terms of toughness and all that stuff. I mean, Kadri's kind of like a Tom Wilson. He's kind of like a Cassian, but a dirtier version of that. But he is that physical presence on a avalanche team that has a lot of young superstars that like to fly around and need that guy to protect him. So uh, obviously I completely disagree with the hit. That was an awful hit. There was no intent on the puck, no intent to get anything but chin. Um, and I'm happy he got what he got. Uh, it's one of those that he'll end up doing it again, as long as he's in the league, it's just for this year. Hopefully I I'm hoping now that there's a part of me, obviously, cause I picked Vegas to win, but I'm hoping there's a part of me that thinks this actually is a big deal and that the avalanche loses series potentially because they're not as tough and they miss a guy like Kadri in the lineup. I mean, it might not come down to that, but it's, it's, you know, it's always one of those things that if they end up losing, it's like, well, what did they, what were they missing? And Kadri could be one of those things. Um, but yeah, that's what I've got to say about it. Colorado's defensemen are too good for them to worry about losing Nazem Kadri. Um, Nazem Kadri is a poor man's um, Brad Marchand. Yeah. And I think a lot of people overvalue him. I have not really been a Nazem Kadri fan for a long time. Um, appreciate what he, he does. I appreciate the guy he is, but um, – yeah, just kind of one of those guys who are like, yeah, well, you either love him or you hate him. And I would love to have him on my team, though. Um, let's wrap it up there. Any last thoughts on uh, Nazem Kadri or Corey Perry or anything like that? Uh, the only thing I had was uh, I haven't heard anything. I may have just missed it, but is Falk injured? Is he coming back for game four? Did he miss game three? I, I wasn't sure. I didn't do my research there, but I'm assuming he's fine. I didn't hear the whole he's out for two to three weeks or anything like that. I'm assuming he's back in the lineup, but I just wasn't sure if you guys heard anything. Uh, no, I do not believe he was hurt. I am looking at that now. Um, I, I think he was out for the rest of the game, if I'm not mistaken. He definitely had to take – oh, yes, there we go. Falk was out for game three. So uh, I guess it'll matter. Uh, just be a matter of if he's ready to go game four. The drop comes to Kunitz moving in. Alrighty, let's shift from the sheet of ice to the ball diamond. And uh, we have uh, a couple 
quick hitters before we uh, move on, or I guess quick pitches, we're calling it, uh, uh, as we wrap up today's show. But we're going to start with uh, the Seattle Mariners, who are in the news. They were a pretty solid team at the start of the season this season. Uh, top of their division, I'm pretty sure, uh, at the start of the at the end of the first month of the season. Uh, since then, they have been a part of two no-hitters uh, as of this season, and uh, that is not uh, really a coincidence because it seems like the Seattle Mariners are on the wrong end of uh, quite a few no-hitters. Um, that is, just before we get into everything, that is the seventh no-hitter that the Seattle Mariners have been a part of and been on the wrong side of the most recent obviously being Spencer Turnbull on May 18th on May 5th John Means threw a no-hitter uh the they do have three combined no-hitters on them as well which is a fucking weird stat um Aaron Sanchez Will Harris Joe Biagini and Chris Davinsky threw one for the Houston Astros in 2019, Taylor Cole and Felix Pena threw one for the Los Angeles Angels, and Mark Langston and uh, Mike Witch threw one for the California Angels in 1990. They have also been on the wrong end of a no-hitter from Philip Humber in 2012. So, uh, hey boys, let's uh, wake the bats up a little bit. That's See the ball, be the ball, Clark. That's, <laughs> that's that is a uh that's a tough one for you Mariners fans as we know uh one of our yeah. filter one of our filterless fans out there Tim Bennett longtime viewer of the show is a big Mariners fan we got into it on social media the other day when I torched their Mariners for getting under the hit total and Chris Paddock to get the overstrike total ended up getting both coincidentally but he was fired up he's a Mariners fan so he is not gonna like this segment but like we discussed in the comments, take a go look um, on Friday's Gambling Corner video, I believe. But we got into it. So uh, if the Mariners do not hit over 200 by the end of Monday when the show is released by Monday night, if they're not hitting over 200, he's going to give us a free shout out, free plug on the socials. So uh, let's hope they don't hit over 200 <laughs> this weekend. But uh, for just want to give a little shout out to Timmy Bennett, who's going to have to suffer through this segment. It'll be over soon, Tim, I promise you. So. Now, getting into it as well, there's also been two other teams that have been no-hit twice this season. Did you guys know that? Yeah, really? Texas Rangers have been no-hit twice, twice I this year. I didn't know that. And Cleveland Indians have been no-hit twice alongside the Mariners. So, of the six no-hits, three teams have been a part of them on the wrong side. Mm. So, uh, Not shocked by that'll, either. That, that'll, take the salt, <laughs> that'll take the salt out of the wound for good old Timmy Bennett. But, obviously, Timmy... Your Mariners blow. I'm sorry. It's uh, it's once they start being a competitive baseball team again, uh, it's nice you have Jared Clinic, so that'll be a little bit of hope and shimmering light in a dark season. So, um, they are bad. Oof, they are so bad. I hard to watch. Easy to bet against. Hard to watch. That's kind of my best bet on them. With the thing with the Mariners, I find, and I guess they did start off with it. it wasn't what everyone expected it was like oh shit the mariners are, are not too bad you know they had um uh, they ended up getting swept i believe from the dodgers and after that that was kind of the the turning point for both teams uh, evidently it seems like but i think uh, what the big problem is is that now that this this was like the second no hitter of the week of that week and it was like the third of the month or fourth of the month. We've had like six or seven this season already. Um, and I believe it was Don Mattingly came out recently saying that, you know, you talk to people around baseball, baseball is boring now. You know, uh, you, you have guys who are a lot of the top baseball players pitchers in baseball rather are manipulating pitches with foreign substances. It's not a hidden thing anymore. Fuck John means to had a no hitter against the Seattle Mariners is one of the guys who you see constantly on social media with his hands getting stuck to his gloves because there's probably something in there. You know, it's the way that the 
pitchers are now juicing the ball instead of the hitters being the ones who are benefiting from the juiced balls has kind of changed the way baseball has been played the last couple of seasons and evidently potentially to their detriment. Yeah. You don't see uh, Justin Verlander with a whole lot of uh, like, he's not voicing his opinion right now. And as opposed to the last few years, baseballs are juiced. Baseballs are juiced. Mm -hmm. I'm not giving up home runs. That's not like me. Mm -hmm. K's are up right now. And he's kind of, he's just shallowed away in his little corner. So along with that too, sorry, Brock, um, along with that, the MLB, I'm glad that they're trying to implement a procedure to like at least track who's, putting foreign substances on the ball, but they're targeting pitchers as they do it. Like um, the average viewer will send in, like there's a video on Twitter that'll blow up quarter million, half a million likes, shares, retweets of a pitcher getting his hand stuck to his neck. Nothing happens. But then Trevor Bauer gets 13, 14 Ks. Every ball from that start is going to like, they tweet MLB tweets. Every ball from Trevor Bauer's thing is going to be investigated tonight. Mm -hmm. Well, he had a good performance versus we're physically giving you evidence of somebody manipulating the ball. And there's, they still failed to take initiative with that, which is really upsetting, which leads back to Mattingly's baseball's getting boring, man. And it sucks. It yeah. sucks. It is. And yeah. it's one of those. And, and, uh... Sorry, go ahead, Brett. I was just going to say like, in regards to like Trevor Bowers, one of the more, um, vocal He's about tough how one. baseball has changed yeah yeah totally Bowers a tough one for me though oh camera's gonna go <laughs> it's no okay. i was just gonna say just before you go uh just before you you say your piece um because <laughs> we can hear you still um i feel like trevor bauer since he maybe this is a little conspiratorial, but since he has been so polarizing on social media and been so vocal against the things that the, that major league baseball does, uh, whether that's from the front office to what the umpires do to this mm-hmm. way, the media goes about themselves. I feel like that might be a little bit of the, not necessarily the, excuse me, the victimization of, of Trevor Bauer and the, the thing that, comes from him being vocal but i feel like it's a little bit more magnified that it's it's uh um his his game balls You're not are wrong. being checked instead of like michael pineda's i'm sure yeah. still i'll keep it short because i know brock's got a lot on his mind trevor bauer did do it a little bit to himself though because two years ago he said we need to pay more attention to this if i started using substance my fastball would jump 400 rpms next season 2018 or 2019 2019 i believe jumps 400 rpms 2020 400 rpms higher so it's uh like you did it to yourself and i'm not saying that Mm -hmm. he shouldn't be investigated that's fair but when when fans are sending you proof that there's this sticking to a glove hat Mm -hmm. you name it you got it. You got to take initiative and that's uh it's not just the commissioner's fault but it's uh is a root source wow it's a it is it's fault. I, that's who i'm gonna Fuck blame <laughs> and um, Go ahead, Brock. it's one of those that again like you talked about with trevor bauer getting 14 k's uh it'd be the same in any other sport like if saquon barkley on the giants ran for three touchdowns if anthony davis went up and grabbed 24 rebounds for the lakers there'd be somebody from the league office standing in in front of his locker stall with a cup and saying here it's your time it's testing time so that's exactly what the MLB is doing. But instead of that, they're just saying, I want those baseballs you threw and we're going to check out to make sure there's no foreign substance. So I, uh, again, it's the whole, I haven't seen any of those videos on Twitter, so I've never seen any of the whole hands sticking to them and stuff, but I'm, that's curious. I mean, it's, there's no, there's no shock when, you know, strikeout numbers are up and batting average is at an all time low. Like the MLB is on pace to have the lowest batting average mm-hmm. of all time since whenever it started, which is you know back in the black and white days so i uh again baseball you know everybody's like we want more home runs we want more home runs ball gets just gonna say home runs happen then all of a sudden they den the balls down then there's no home runs and there's there's no hitters um the big thing the big thing about these no hitters that it's unfortunate but this is how people are it's because it's happened so often so again there's six within the last you know first month and a half two months the season now people are like well no hitters aren't that fun anymore i remember the days where your phone, we all have MLB app on our phone. There's the days where a guy's a no hitter through seven, 
And then you're like, oh, pick your interest. Then he has a no-hitter through eight. Everybody that's a baseball fan logs onto their phone if they have MLB TV and watches that ninth inning because they want to be part of no-hitter history. Now there's part of the world where it's like, yeah, it's just a no-hitter. I'll read about it eventually. Um, especially when there was those days when it was uh, John Means. It was John Means and Kluber threw back-to-back, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. Whoever that was, Kluber threw back-to-back after somebody. And so when those people are like, well, no-hitters are boring. No, Turnbull, thank you. And no-hitters are boring now. And that should never be the case because a no-hitter is one of the most prestigious accolades in all of baseball, if not all of sports. Um, now it's getting kind of, I don't want to say ruined, but it's getting less impactful because it's happening so much now in this gate, in this day and age. Yeah. Like you said, uh, you mentioned just in other sports, how where if Anthony Davis picks up a whole bunch of boards, it's it's he's going to get a piss test and so on and so forth. There's even a, a, a bold, just right out in the open example of that in uh, the English Premier League uh, last month, I believe it was. Um, during Ramadan, uh, Paul Pogba, who plays for Manchester United, he played a great game and he, he was celebrating Ramadan, which means he was fasting and he played an unbelievable game. And since he played his unbelievable game while fasting, they go after the game as the cameras are on him, the team official comes up to him and goes, Ed, you need, you're getting piss test. Wow. It's like, what the fuck? Right there, right in, in the open. And you know, it's they try to say that they're not it's it's random but it's never fucking random it's never random no it's not you can't be no the only thing random about this test is uh the results that people have in games that are so like incredible that's the random part it's how how random is the impressive stat line that somebody puts up in their sport that's the random part it's the it could well you want to make it random every hat every name has to go and do a hat okay who are who are we piss testing today? That is random. It's, I want I want other you to, than that. It's you know what I want. I want the MOB. I want to see the guy standing in front of the nine hole of the Mariners locker and be like, "We're gonna piss test you." I know you're hitting 079, but let's get the piss test. <laughs> yeah. Well, really, the only thing that you. is random in a piss test is if you're guilty, it might be the person's piss is the random part. Uh, let's move on from piss tests and uh, no hitters and uh, wrap the show up with uh, some quick pitches as uh, Brock so greatly came up with. Uh, Brock, what do you have on the, the slate for us here? Yeah, so we got a new segment here we're going to do, a little quick pitch. I mean, you know, we talk some hockey, we talk some baseball. You know, we can't get to everything in a, in a simple recording. There may be some things out there for some fans to get into. So we're going to do a little segment at the end of most of our shows, a little quick pitch, kind of quickly recap some of the news headlines that hit our desk this week and get them to you for every Monday show. So we're going to start off with, as you may be able to tell, a little bit of New York Yankees, a little Derek Jeter. Can't see the number there, but oh, I tried hey, with the oh, mic. We got the careful Derek on the Jeter. camera. Yep, that kind of hollered on him. But we got the Derek Jeter jersey on today <laughs> because he is announced, or a company is announced with ESPN Films that they are making a documentary called The Captain in honor of Derek Jeter. So it'll be a Last Dance esque type documentary like Michael Jordan had with his, and that'll be arriving sometime in 2022. So I'm as excited as anybody to see. I believe it's a six-part series, or it's a multiple talk. There, multiple, multi-part documentary there. So excited to see that. That'll be a lot of fun. Uh, and other news sticking to the diamond. There is a report that Eric Kratz went on to a podcast and said that the Colorado Rockies still signs in 2018 as well, and that there was a mystery team alongside that. I'm not sure if you gentlemen heard that one or not, but that came across uh, the old time news feed. So that's a big one. Yeah, uh, I heard Eric Kratz say as well that and dignified his comments with, yeah, it was a team that goes to the World Series uh, frequently. Why don't you just fucking say it, Eric? Who's the only team who goes to the World Series frequently, huh? Say it's the Dodgers. Say it. Why don't you say it? Are you scared about what's going to happen? Are you scared to tie your name to something that you weren't actually a part of? Sure, you can talk about the stuff that the other teams were doing, like the Colorado Rockies, because you were a part of that team. But just because you're getting dick slapped around by a young Cody Ballinger doesn't mean that you can speak to what they were potentially doing. If you were a part of it, then sure. But until Russell Martin comes up and and says, okay, my career's done, let's – tell you what uh, we were doing here. So Russell Martin was hitting a solid 210. Sure. <laughs> yeah. 
fuck out um, of my face. Crap. It's one of those two with Eric Kratz, you know, he's slamming a team. And again, it's mystery team season. You know, there's always trade season when it's, oh, there's three mystery teams involved in a trade. No, there's a mystery team involved in another potential scandal. No, it's the one of the only teams he never played for in his however many years, because I'm looking at the team's <laughs> list. There is at least nine to ten names on this list. And I would love to know the length of how long he played for each team. Like a Blue Jays, for example. My mind went to when was he a Blue Jay, how long, because it couldn't have been that long. So no. very interesting there from Eric Kratz. So uh, also getting into it, we had our NBA play-in games. We had some teams move on there, so we're just going to recognize that. Uh, also for the first time, a seven seed is favored to win the series over a two seed in the <laughs> Lakers favored to win over the Phoenix Suns. So like you guys may remember from my couple podcasts ago, I said whoever is winning between the Lakers and Warriors and is going to play the Suns will be winning the tournament. Unfortunately, when I say that, I was hoping to make a little bit of money when I gambled on it because I was hoping the seven seed would be an underdog and it'd be a little bit more of a cash out. But in terms of this, it seems like the Lakers are favored. And now I've got a little bit more on my hands as the seating doesn't seem to matter in this series. Just because of LeBron, baby. Just because Un- of LeBron. Unbelievable. Uh, last quick pitch here we've got for you guys. It's kind of a tie-in with their other segment, the new sports innovation. I was coming up with this the other night in the Leafs-Canadians game two. Um, when I get a tweet notification on my phone from Elliot Friedman during a challenge, when he said this challenge is taking longer than the running of enter Sandman, then the call should stay overturned on the ice. And it got me thinking that I believe as sports fans, we are in a world where everything's timed and you have to do things in under a certain amount of time. I believe leagues such as the NHL, NBA, MLB, and I'm assuming NFL as well, should all institute timers that they plaster on our TV, our little graphic, so that we can count down to the, you know, maybe two minute long allowance of how long a challenge can make. Because it was over six minutes long for this challenge. And I kind of thought to myself, uh, I'd be watching four other games right now because all I could see is rest with the headphones on, coaches looking at the monitors, and it just it got me thinking that if a challenge takes longer than enter Sandman, then you've got a problem here with the length of a game. So I think new sports innovation, put put some timers on challenges, make officials, you know, look at the cameras quick, make a judgment call on the uh, cameras and get that thing over with within two minutes. So not sure what your guys thoughts are on that. Yeah, well, I, I just want to say with uh, MLB, I feel like the MLB has kind of gotten theirs replay, their replay rather down pretty well, especially around uh, North American sports. Um, with the replay review in the MLB, it they can take no longer than two minutes with their calls, and if it takes more than two minutes, then it's the call that you made on on, on the diamond. That's it. That's oh, that's I did not. Okay. Um, but in regards to hockey, I feel like the, the issue is that there's so many entities that you're looking at that it's tough is a skate up when it, it, you're offside. I know that's not a, a part of the the rule anymore, but you know, that's, that was an aspect that you were looking at is so-and-so in the crease is the goalie able to recover and make a save. Like, it's there's too many aspects and I know the issue of, okay, we want you to get it right. Um, especially in playoffs, the timing has never really been a major thing for me. I just want you to get it right. Yeah. Why, why am I complaining about you getting it right? Yeah. For me, it's one of those that um, again, it's the whole, every sports league as the whole, let's try and make, or sorry, I guess it's just the MLB, but it's the whole, make the game shorter. Um, all that stuff, you know, things, different ways to speed up the game. For me, it's the fact that when there's a blatant, obvious call that they're like, let's just go take a check at just to make sure we're right. It takes 15 to 20 seconds. They throw the headphones on. They're like, you better stick with this call. Uh, And then they just keep the call. But it's the ones where there's the littlest factors, the littlest things that you probably think, because again, in playoff hockey, things happen quick. They happen fast that I think if you look at something for two minutes, you should be able to determine with whatever camera angles they have access to that you can get that call in within a minute and a half, two minutes. Again, like I don't know if you guys saw the least Canadians one, but it was a goalie interference and it was the slightest amount of detail possible to overturn it. And in my mind, I'm thinking if it's that uh, 
that small of a detail, yeah. it probably doesn't mm-hmm. matter in that result. They're probably going to score regardless. It's those ones where yep. it's the blatant ones. They're 15, 20 seconds. Those long ones are always the one where it's like, like, for example, stepping on first base, it's the whole, those ones take a little longer for some reason, because they need to get every camera angle and kind of what part of the cleat touches before the ball is in the glove that I think you can have two minutes of looking and you should be able to know by every camera angle within two minutes, what your call is. So I, I get yep. it with your purpose of let's get it right. I just think they can get it right um, quicker. That's my thought. You know, it's, it's hard to put like a definitive, you have two minutes, like a definitive time on it because you know when you start talking about play at first base first maybe a play at home first base bang bang play um you know it's a tight tight call but it's let it's still significant and important but versus that that bottom of the ninth bang bang play at home it's a tag play now now we have to look at a few few different angles and like maybe I'm more inclined to wait a little bit longer for a really important call, but also along the lines of getting it right. MLB is fucking atrocious this year. They have, they've like botched even uh, reviewable plays. They've gone to review and then everybody is waiting in the stadium for like two minutes. Like, okay, perfect. Great. Yeah. It's going to get overturned and they come back and it's blatantly obvious and they still fucking get it wrong get it right. You already took two minutes to do this. How the mm-hmm. fuck did you miss that? And then the manager comes out. What are you, how did you not see this? It's not my call. You're gone. Yeah. What a fucking waste of everybody's time. So like, I, I would be a little bit more uh, like accepting of a really important like review for an important goal play, etc. But for I don't know, the routine calls that it just happened to be really close okay, mm-hmm. I'll accept you, go review that. Like everybody's human, all good, go review it, but get it right, man, get it right. And I, I, I'm not going to beat it to death, but uh, I know mistakes happen, but if you're going to take longer, make sure it's right. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more there. So just a little idea I threw out there. Uh, and again, the other part I'm thinking about too is, you know, they give a, they have a timer for coaches on how long they have to, you know, take on, challenging the play so why not add a timer on how long the play can be challenged for that's kind of what my thoughts were at uh after that game so like um uh, awesome show today guys i have one last thing then i'm gonna send it to brett for closing but uh we have had a lot of great support so far starting up with bss and filter not included a lot of big screen sports stuff um hopefully you guys are getting enjoying the daily gambling videos i've heard a lot of great things from a lot of people hopefully you guys are enjoying the podcast as well but we want you guys to please reach out to us if you guys have any comments or feedback we'd love to hear it positive negative uh, specific individuals all that you know maybe it's a sean robbins fix a camera we'll get a lot of that probably but um i mean we want to hear what you guys think we want to know how we can make this as good as possible we want to hear whether you like it whether you don't all that stuff, please send our feedback on Instagram or on Twitter at Big Screen Sports. Send it to us individually. All that stuff, comment on a video. We want to hear all the feedback all the time, all that stuff. So that being said, excellent show today. This is our YouTube debut. Hopefully you guys will see a lot of great things here and there. So make sure you go into YouTube. We'll get that going on the social media. We'll plug that so you guys know where to find that. So to end the show, we're going to send it over to Mr. Big Poppy. Yeah, I'm going to throw it back to the year I was born in 1996, not to date myself too much here, but uh, we're going back with a cool 1990s classic with AT Aliens by Outcast.